Hey, good morning, my friends. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3, and in just a moment, we are going to read verses 1 through 17. And actually, rather than turning your Bibles, I just want to invite you to listen along as I read in just a moment. The translation I'm going to read is a little bit different, and so just follow along and listen as I read in just a moment. Uh, maybe you're here for the first time. I want to, as Melissa said earlier, welcome you. My name's Will. I'm the senior pastor here, and we're thrilled that you're joining with us either here in the room or if you're watching online. Y'all, we are now in the season of Lent. So what we talked about last week was that Lent, for those of you that might not be aware, it's the 40 days, not counting Sunday, that lead us up to Easter. Easter, which is our greatest celebration in the church, is the time where we just celebrate that Christ is alive. He's defeated death and all is well in God's kingdom. And we celebrate that. But in order to get to that space, what we do as a church, and I say that not just us here at First Baptist, but the global church, is we carve out 40 days to think deeply about the ways that we have fallen short of who God calls us to be. And to ask deep questions about how we can reorient our lives so that we might follow Jesus well in this world. So that's what Lent is about, and that's the journey that we are on together. And so if you missed last week, you can go and catch up and listen to that as we talked about the temptations of Jesus and some of the temptations that we face in our own life. And this week we move forward with John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And you can just listen as I read to us now from the story of God and God's people. There was a man of the Pharisees called Nicodemus, a ruler of the Judeans. He came to Jesus by night. Rabbi, he said to him, we know that you're a teacher who comes from God. Nobody can do these signs that you're doing unless God is with him. Let me tell you the solemn truth, replied Jesus. Unless someone has been born from above, they won't be able to see God's kingdom. How can someone possibly be born, asked Nicodemus, when they're old? You're not telling me they can go back a second time into the mother's womb and be born, are you? 
I'm telling you the solemn truth, replied Jesus, that unless someone is born from water and the Spirit, they can't enter into God's kingdom. Flesh is born from flesh, but Spirit is born from Spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it wants to, and you hear the sound it makes. But you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going to. And and that's what it's like with someone who's born from the Spirit. How can this be so, asked Nicodemus. Well, well, replied Jesus. You're a teacher of Israel, and yet you don't know about all this? I'm telling you the solemn truth. We talk about the thing, what we know about. We're giving evidence about things we've seen, but you won't admit our evidence. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe, then how will it be if I tell you heavenly things? Are you going to believe then? And nobody has gone up into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. So just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, in the same way the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may share in the life of God's new age. This, you see, is how much God loved the world, enough to give his only special Son, so that everyone who believes in him should not be lost, but should share in the life of God's new age. After all, God didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world could be saved by him. So, y'all, there are certain passages, certain things, that uh, phrases, that if I say them, you automatically know where they came from, right? Let's just do a little bit of experimenting here, okay? The, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Who said that? FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Oh, you got it? Okay, I like that hand up. Okay, good, good. We're going to keep going, all right? Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Who's that? Yeah, JFK. Okay, very good. You guys, you pass your U.S. history class. I'm proud of you. Okay, we're going to move into literature for a second, all right? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Yeah, there you go. A Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens. Y'all pass English class too, all right? You ready? Everybody's going to know this one. I get knocked down, but I get up again. No one's ever going to keep me down. Booyah! Chumbawamba in their 1990s classic tub thumping. If you don't know it, do yourself a favor, go listen, okay? There are certain phrases, y'all, that if we say them, we just intuitively know where they come from. It's, the, it's true of culture, it's true of history, and what I would say is that even in the context of a culture that is increasingly biblically illiterate, which, which what I mean by that is we don't know the stories of the Bible anymore, even here in the Bible Belt, there are still certain passages and phrases that when we hear them, they immediately evoke the whole. They bring something to our minds. Think about Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We We know that one, even in a post-biblical culture. And and if we know Psalm 23, what I want to suggest to us this morning is that there is one passage, one statement from the lips of Jesus that even in a post-Christian world, we all still, at least at some level, know it. And I read it to you just a few moments ago, and now I want to read it to you in the King James Version. And you could probably recite it out loud with me, although you don't need to. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Y'all, I did not grow up in the church at all. And yet I can distinctly remember going to a vacation Bible school when I was a kid and having John 3.16 like drilled into my heads. 
in my head. I don't have two heads. I just have one. All right. And it is one of those passages that it is just lodged in our brains and in our memories. And, and that is a good thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in that great King James Version, believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And y'all, we know that passage. But here's the thing. Along with knowing the passage, we have heard it so many times that what can begin to happen is that our, our brains begin to atrophy and we begin to forget what is actually at the heart of this beautiful and compelling statement off the lips of Jesus. And so that's what I want us to do this morning is I want us to actually take out a few minutes and just dig into this story of Jesus and his interaction with Nicodemus. Because I think if we do, and if we focus in particular on those words of Jesus, then we can learn something about the revolutionary goodness and the revolutionary power of God, right? John 3, 16. It has been debated and debated and debated. In the early church, for example, they used to get together and have councils, big, big church meetings. And they would spend months at a time debating, what does the word begotten mean? And they would parse the verbs and, and think everything through. And that was beautiful. But the power got lost. And in American Christianity, we've heard it so many times that the power gets lost. So let's dig in, okay? Can you do that with me? Are you ready? I just want to take some time this morning and look at the passage, just the passage itself. And I think that if we do, we can learn four things in particular. Four things about the nature of who God is, two things about the nature of who God is, and two things about us and our response that has the power to shape our lives in a good and beautiful way as we prepare for Easter. For God so loved the world. When we dig into this passage, when we dig into this story, this is the first thing that I want us to understand. That at the heart of who God is, at the heart of God's intent for his creation, there is one overriding emotion and it is love. For God so loved the world. Now we need to stop on this for just a few minutes, y'all. We need to stop on this passage for just a couple of minutes because the fact of the matter is that if you're anything like me, you have grown up or attended church at some level where you have been taught not that God was filled with love, but you were taught that God was in fact hateful. For some of us, like the way I heard John 3.16 preached, it would have been better to say, for God so hated the world that he killed his only son. But y'all, the fact of the matter is, contrary to what some of us might have been taught in church, at the heart of God is not hate, but at the heart of God is this incredible love. When I think about the way so many people experience Christianity, I cannot help but go to that beautiful song by Sturgill Simpson, Turtles All the Way Down. If you're not familiar with Sturgill, go and listen to some of his stuff. It's just incredible country music. And he, talking about God, he says, that old man upstairs, you know, he wears a crooked smile and he's staring down on the chaos he created. And that's how people view God as this angry, vengeful, spiteful being that is ultimately looking out to curse us and to harm us and to wipe us out because of our brokenness. Now, please understand that God does hate. God hates sin. 
God hates sin. This thing that has entered into the world that causes you and I to do things and live in ways that are counter to God's intent. Imagine, for example, that someone creates a violin, a luthier as they're known. They create this violin and it is intended to play Bach and Beethoven and Mozart and the most incredible music. And then one day he sees his violin not being played by a violinist, but instead being used to hit home runs by Albert Pujols. He's going to be upset about what is happening because that's not the intent behind the instrument. In the same way, God looks at us and he hates sin because it keeps us from being the people that God, in fact, created us to be. And so, yes, there are things that God hates, but please do not ever forget that at the heart of the Jesus narrative and at the heart of the Bible itself is this incredibly revolutionary fact that God is love. And in contrast to most of the religions of the world, and in particular the religions of the time of Jesus, God isn't angry, but God is filled with divine goodness and hope for the world. And if you don't believe me, I actually would invite you to go and read not only what John wrote in his gospel, but what John wrote, he actually wrote three other letters, three letters to churches. And in 1 John chapter 4, he says it best. I want you to just read it. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God, anyone who does not love does not know God. And here's the sentence, because God is love. And as we seek to understand John 3.16 in its proper context, for so many of us, we've been taught something counter about God. And what I want you to know is that following the lead of the gospel and the words of Jesus himself, God loved the first thing we need to understand is that God is ultimately filled with love. The second thing that I want to suggest to you is if we read John 3.16 John in its proper context, for God so loved the world that he gave. God gave his only son. God gave his only son. And let's stop and talk about this for just a few minutes, y'all. Let's stop and talk about God giving his son. Because what we tend to do in the church, and we are all guilty of this, what we tend to do in the church is that we talk about Christmas and we talk about Easter. Okay, okay, so God gave Jesus at Christmas and then he died at Easter and that's all I need to know and everything is good. Okay, God gave. Yep, yay, Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, if that is how we think, and that is how we have tended to think, right? If you go back into the earliest councils of the church that I talked about earlier, they go straight from birth to death. But the reality is what John says, what Jesus says is that God gave his only son, not gave his son just to die or gave his son to be born in a manger in Bethlehem, but he gave his son. And when we go and we look through the stories of Jesus, here's what we are invited to see. That God gave his son, Jesus, who is the Christ, and he is the most brilliant teacher that the world has ever seen. If you want to know how we ought to live and how we ought to think, then do this. Go and read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Go read the Sermon on the Mount. And what you will find is the most radical and revolutionary teaching that anyone has ever uttered. God gave Jesus that he might teach us an alternative way to live. 
One of my favorite authors, a guy named Dallas Willard, says it, very, it means very little in practice to say that Jesus is Lord if you have to hesitate before saying Jesus is smart. Do you understand that Jesus calls you not only to trust in his death and resurrection, but Jesus calls you to trust in his teaching? And if someone hits you on the right cheek, turn the left. If someone takes your cloak, give them your tunic. If someone makes you walk one mile, walk the second as well. God gave his son so that we might know how to live through following his words. God gave his son so that we might know how to live by following his words, but also by following his action. If you read throughout the stories of Jesus' life, those four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you will discover time and time again is that Jesus goes into places where there is desolation. Jesus goes into places where there is death and sadness and nothingness. And every single time, y'all, this is what I love about Jesus. Every single time, what emerges is something beautiful. And in the midst of death, he brings life. In the midst of chaos, he brings order. In the midst of despair, Jesus speaks a word. She's not dead. She's just asleep. Get up, little girl. And we watch the way that Jesus lives. And we ought to be inspired. Go back to what John said. Friends, God is love. And if we are to be followers of him, then we ought to live in the way that Jesus lived. Yes, we listen to what he taught and we watch how he lived. And then we go out and we do likewise. God loved and God gave. He gave his son with the most masterful teaching you have ever heard, with the most remarkable, radical, revolutionary life that is filled with grace and kindness in a world of anger and hate. And Jesus says, if you want to know how to live and live well, then watch what I have done. See, God gave his son to teach us how we live, to show us how we ought to go. But ultimately, y'all, what we know through these words of Jesus in John chapter 3 is that he gave his son because he died the death that we all deserved. He, he references that strange story back in Numbers when Moses and the Israelites are walking through the desert and there's this horde of snakes, these venomous snakes that come along and they're biting the Israelites and the Israelites are dying. And so God says to Moses, I want you to craft this snake, this bronze snake and lift it up in the sky. And if people keep their eyes on that serpent, then they will be healed. And the sickness that they have inherited, it will not kill them. And Jesus says, in the same way as Moses lifted that serpent into the sky, I will be lifted up. And what he means is he will be crucified. And if we can keep our eyes on him and on his sacrificial love, on the death that he gave so that we might be whole and we might be healed, then, my friends, we ultimately do discover the depths of his love. You see, God gave his son so that we might know his teaching, so that we might model his life in our own, but ultimately he gave his son so that he might die and be resurrected so that he might bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. This is the center of the gospel. And for so many of us, we have been taught something different as we've gone throughout our lives. And if we want to know the power of God in our lives, then we begin by looking at these two things, that God loved and God gave. 
And ultimately, the crux and the core of the Christian faith is rooted in those two things. It is not about what we do, because we're going to get to that in a second. But ultimately, it is always and forevermore about what God has done on our behalf. And so John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And this is the third point, right? That whosoever believes in him. God loved, God gave, and then we, as a result of God's goodness, we believe. We get to believe. And let's pause on that word for just a moment as well, okay? Because we grow up in a, we grew up, some of us are still growing up, I hope that's all of us, that we have grown up in a world of enlightenment values. Going back to thinkers like Descartes, and Rousseau and others. And the basic idea behind the enlightenment is that the core of the human being is rooted in the brain. And the ultimate thing that we need to do is simply understand conceptually, to understand facts and figures. And so what we do is we approach Christianity with this idea of, okay, I understand the concepts. Jesus died for me and now he's alive, so I'm good. So I believe. But please understand, if you wanna think through a biblical lens, Yes, it is important to affirm conceptual realities, but it is possible to believe all the right things with your mind and still be ensnared by sin and darkness. And ultimately, what Jesus is saying is that when we understand what God has done for us, he loved, he gave, and we get to believe. And the Greek word, we're not going to name it out, but what you need to understand is that it isn't just about mental assent. But it is about trusting with the whole of yourself. It is about living in a way where your values align with your mindset because you understand his teaching and you saw the way he lived and you saw the way he died and he did it all for you. And it results in a change of direction for your life. You see, friends, if we want to believe It isn't just ascribing all the right notes in our mental box to check this off. I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. But is it instead, it is instead to have your mind shaped, your life shaped by the power of the gospel and the understanding that God loved you. He loved the world and he gave his son in all the ways that we have talked about. So God loves and God gives And as a result of those two things, we get to put our life's trust in him. We believe. And then finally, what I would say to you is this. The fourth piece is that we get to receive. So God loves, God gave, we believe, and then, friends, we receive. For God so loved the world, Jesus said, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but inherit the life of the age to come. If you guys were paying attention, what I read to you a little bit earlier, is a different translation. It's actually a translation that is much closer to the Greek. And he says, everyone who believes in him shouldn't be lost, but should share in the life of God's new age. Now let's compare those two, right? The King James Version on the one hand, the NIV version that most of us have, or the NRSV or whatever Bible translation you've got, it tends to say eternal life. And when we as Western people, we tend to think about time in a linear fashion. So this is temporal life and eternal life is something that happens later. 
Eternal life is something that happens after we die. And so when we read John 3.16 through that lens, what we are taught and conditioned to believe is that we receive eternal life on a different time, in a different place after we die. So the promises of God are not reserved for now, but they are reserved for later. And if we think that is correct, please understand you are wrong. Because biblical people didn't think in linear time frames, but they thought as a whole. And there were two ages in God's good creation. There was the present age in which we were living. And then there is the age to come when God's kingdom will come and God's will will be done on earth as it is in God's space, which is heaven. And what the Christian faith has taught and what Jesus is saying is that through his death and ultimately through his resurrection, that promised age of God, the age of redemption and restoration and reconciliation, that promise of God that he will make all things right in and through Jesus, that is arriving now. And through your faith in him, through your trust in Jesus, the promises of God are not reserved for later, eternal life when you die. But through him, you inherit the life of the age to come right now. Do you understand what a difference that makes in the context of your life? You can have joy You can have peace. You can have flourishing abundance in every way imaginable because of Jesus. And it doesn't have to wait for tomorrow, but it can happen today. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have life abundantly. Not just after you die, but right here in the kingdom that I am launching in this world. Friends, God loved And God gave, and we believe, and we receive. And through that one simple verse, we in fact do get at the heart of the gospel. So if you only hear me say one thing this morning, please, friends, hear me say this. That at the heart of the gospel story is ultimately the love. The love that God has for all of creation. Don't forget, for God so loved the world that God has a plan to renew and restore and redeem all things because at the heart of God is love and that process has begun in and through Jesus. So God loved the world. God loves the world. And ultimately, friends, what I want each and every one of us to understand is that God loves you. That God loves you. And you have an opportunity to put your faith in him, in the goodness of God and the glory that is revealed in Jesus and your life can be transformed. God loves you. Y'all, when I read this story, not just John 3, 16, but the whole of the story, I can't help but go back and think about Nicodemus. If you remember Nicodemus, what we read in John chapter 3 is that Nicodemus is a teacher of the law. He's a teacher of the law, which means he's ultra-religious. He knows all the right answers. He's been to all the proper schools. He's done all the right things. And yet Jesus shows up, and he begins to talk about this different way of religion, this different way of life. And when you read in John chapter 3, what you begin to see is that Nicodemus, y'all, he just doesn't get it. 
What do you mean? I got to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Are you crazy? (laughs) He doesn't get it. And in John chapter 3, y'all, it ends with Nicodemus looking kind of like a buffoon. With somebody who has heard the gospel straight from the mouth of Jesus, and yet he doesn't understand, he doesn't comprehend. And if the story ends there, then it's one of the saddest stories you could possibly imagine because Nicodemus had an encounter with Jesus and he left with life right at his fingertips. And he didn't claim it. But listen, the good news, the good news is that when you read through the whole of the Gospel of John, he did not get it in John chapter 3. Nicodemus walks away confused. But thanks be to God, at the end of the story, after Jesus has been crucified and he declares that it is finished, when everyone else has abandoned him, who shows up to give Jesus a right and proper burial but none other than Nicodemus. And in John chapter 3, he comes to Jesus in the darkness because it pervades his own soul. And in John 21, he emerges in the light to be there for Jesus and with Jesus. And the Christian tradition, one of the most wonderful parts is that the Christian tradition declares to us that Nicodemus becomes a saint and a follower of Christ himself. And y'all, when I read this story of Nicodemus, I cannot help but think about this one statement. That guys, what matters? What matters isn't how you start, but what matters is how you finish. What, What matters isn't how you start. Because some of us are here in this room and you've been told lies about who God is And you've been given this false version of Christianity that isn't filled with grace and love and kindness, and you rightfully so have walked away from it. But thanks be to God, if that's how you started, that isn't how you have to finish. And ultimately, friends, the only thing I want you to know this morning is that you are loved by God. You are loved by God who has a plan to make the world right, and he's begun it through Jesus. You can trust in him. So do you know? Do you know that you are loved by God? For God so loved the world, and God loved, and God gave, and we believe so we can receive. So may you receive God's grace and his goodness. May you receive the power of the gospel to live and live well. May you know that you are loved by God on this morning and all throughout your days. Friends, let's take a few moments together and let's pray. God, we are grateful. We are grateful for these words of Jesus, words that are etched on our consciousness, words we have heard from the time we are children, that God, you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son. So God, help us to hear those words fresh and new this morning. God, help us who are here in this room to put our trust to put our faith in Jesus, not just to check off boxes of mental uh, clarity, but God, to give our lives, to hear his teaching and to embed it in our own consciousness, 
to watch how he lives and go and do likewise. God, to trust that his death cleanses our brokenness and makes us whole. God, may we trust in Jesus this morning. May we know that you, God, are ultimately one of love and grace and that you love the world and you love us. So for my friends who are watching online, God, for my friends who are here in this room and they've never heard that word this morning, God, may they trust in your grace. We are loved by you. We are loved by Jesus and that is enough. So God, continue to be with us now as we worship you. This is our prayer and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.